I could take out of my life everything except my experiences at St. Andrew, and I still have a rich, full life. But the last tee shot I hit was more like it, that one in the playoff. Against Biden and Ray. That's right. The best thing to win the Masters, you, you will be here forever, as long as you are still alive, so that's the best thing. I'm very happy. Welcome to the 19th episode of the Talking Golf History Podcast. Today on our show, Rick Brown and I are going to discuss one of the greatest golfers that no one has ever heard of. Our subject today is the great but unheralded George Roddy, who never lost a single individual match in his college career. So why haven't you heard of him? George Roddy attended the University of Iowa from 1928 to 1931. During his time with the Hawkeyes, he won the All-University Tournament three times and finished his career without a single loss. You likely haven't heard of him because of the color of his skin. In the 1920s and 1930s, the game was as white as the golf ball and George Roddy was an African-American. The interview that follows is about the unbeaten golfer who defied all odds and persevered through prejudice and racism that kept him from becoming a legend in his own time. But thankfully, we have the opportunity to make him a legend in ours. How good was George Roddy? One competitor who lost to our legend in 1931 once said, I have heard some people call George Roddy the Black Bobby Jones. From what I saw out there today, maybe we should call Bobby Jones the White George Roddy. Without further ado, I would like to introduce our special guest for today's podcast. Rick Brown covered golf for more than 30 years for the Des Moines Register, which included numerous Ryder Cups, Masters, U.S. Opens, and PGA Championships as well as Iowa's own significant golf championships. Rick Brown was named Iowa Sports Writer of the Year 11 times. He left the newspaper at the start of 2016 and was inducted into the Iowa Golf Hall of Fame in 2017. On top of all these accolades, Rick's latest book, Golden Harvest, Iowa's Rich Golf History, comes out this November. Rick, thank you so much for joining me on episode 19 of the Talking Golf History Podcast. Appreciate it, Conard. Honored, honored to be on uh, your podcast. I tell you, Rick, before we jump in to the story today about uh, George Roddy, the unknown amateur legend in the game of golf, I was wondering if you could share a little bit about your new book due out this November, Golden Harvest, Iowa's Rich Golf History. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, it's uh, been a labor of love to do to research golf, uh, a sport I love in, in the state I've lived my whole life. Uh, found a lot of very interesting stories, and uh, I, I knew who the good players were, but uh, a lot of things have gone on that I, n- I never knew. Everything from Andy Cohen of Waterloo playing on the LPGA Tour, running into a guy named Karsten Solheim, who gave her a bunch of... Uh, putters to try out she thought she was the first uh, 
LPGA player to use ping equipment, but she was the second. What? I did uh, not know that. That's crazy. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Uh, uh, she and she and uh, Sherry Wheeler, who played at Arizona State, she Sherry Wheeler says, "Do you want to meet this guy? He, he works at GE. He's got all these weird ideas, but he brings equipment all the time." So she went and tried it out, and they left. And Sherry Wheeler says to Andy Cohen, "What do you think?" She says. I don't know anything about the technical aspect of the game, but I think he's on to something. And uh, lo and behold, there we go. Stories like that, stories. Uh, I was kid Zach Johnson, the first uh, hole of his pro career, he made a triple bogey. Yeah. Um, I did that yesterday, <laughs> Zach, so we're, we're on the same page. <laughs> <laughs> Harry Varden and uh, Ted Ray planned an exhibition in Sioux City in 1920, shortly after uh, – Ray won won the uh, U.S. Open. Yeah, they played, uh, and the pro there, Mike Shearman, once caddied. Uh, so for for those guys, so I, I run all sort of crazy stories like that, and it's really been a pleasure to do. Yeah, how did you come up with the idea for the book? How did that How did that come about? Well, uh, Chad Pitts with the Iowa Golf Association approached me about it uh, oh, a couple years ago. I was still working full-time at the Des Moines Register, and I told him I just don't have the time to invest in, in this project. And so I took a buyout from the paper uh, the first of 2016, and I had another project. Uh, Chris Street was a University of Iowa basketball player who was killed tragically yeah. during his junior season. I wrote a book on Chris at his parents' request and got that finished, and then I dived into this golf book. Wow, that's crazy. So is there is there one story from the book that is your personal favorite? Hmm. Well, of course, uh, my, my favorite story, and I'm involved in it, but 2012 U.S. Open was back at Olympic, where Jack Fleck of Davenport had beat Ben Hogan in 1955. Yeah, great story. And... and uh, so Zach Johnson is playing in, in that open, and I'm sending him a text message, and I ask him, have you run into Jack Fleck this week? Zach had just finished a practice round. He says, no, and we were going back and forth. And then the, he quit responding to my text, and he calls me like five minutes later. He says, this is the weirdest thing. I was answering your question about Jack Fleck, and I turned the corner in the clubhouse, and there was Jack Fleck. <laughs> so they, they stopped, and they met for the first time, had a nice visit uh, I was two major champions run into each other in an Olympic Pretty from amazing. Iowa, both from Iowa, right? Yeah, Zach is from Cedar Rapids, and Fleck uh, was born in Bettendorf uh, and lived in Dam was in Davenport running two pro shops uh, at the time of the Open Championship. Yeah, one of the great all time Iowa golf stories. I mean, both of them really, you know, both came kind of out of nowhere, and now we're uh, looking at Zach Johnson, uh, likely and should be a uh, Hall of Famer someday. He's right on the doorstep. I, yeah. I, I would think he, you know, winning the Open Championship, winning a major at Augusta and St. Andrews, that's a pretty good uh, set of bookings. It's not bad. I, I remember <laughs> just going back to the, the Open at St. Andrews. Um, gosh, I want to say it was the road hole, but he slipped on his tee shot. I don't know if you remember that. I and think it was his second shot. It could have been, right? And he It slipped. was on the road hole. Yep. And, and I remember thinking, oh, no, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I mean, I really was just, it, it was kind of like Tiger at the Masters, you know, like this year and, and, and waiting for that 17th tee shot where 
it, I don't know about if it's always the case, but it seems like Tiger always bogeys the 17th hole. I mean, just in my, it's probably not even the case, but in my collective history, I, I had never remembered him getting a par on that hole. And it was kind of that same moment where the next shot made everything happen. And then he wins the open. I was, I don't know about you. I mean, I'm an Iowan too, folks, if you don't know that, born and raised. And um, I, I don't know if that took me as much by shock as the Masters, but it was certainly right up there in Iowa's golf history. Yeah, the Masters and and the Masters worked out for him because it was chilly. Yeah, wet. Uh, it was very very cold and wet, and uh, yeah, it was fascinating for him. He, if you recall, he had to get up and down on uh, on the 18th. Yeah, well, at the time to, to to finish with the lead, and he and he he, he talking to him about that shot is pretty amazing. He had you know he he considered three different shots, and picked the one and hit it within tapping range and. Uh, the rest is history. Uh, I asked him, Connor, I said, okay, people ask you all the time, what would you pick? What, what's your greatest victory, the Masters or the Open Championship? Yeah. He says, tough question, and you know what? I don't have to answer it. <laughs> I, thought that <laughs> like, was a, I thought that was a good answer. It's a perfect Zach answer for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I knew uh, and know, I should say, uh, Larry Gladson real well at Elmcrest. I was a member there. And, uh, I mean, uh, the tributes they've done, obviously, for Zach Johnson at Elmcrest have been pretty spectacular. And I've had an opportunity to meet him a couple times. I'm sure not to the level you know him, but uh, such a, a perfect gentleman and a great ambassador for the game of golf. Right. If I could tell you a real quick story. Oh, please do. Absolutely. With Larry, because, you know, he started, Zach was 10 years old when he when he took part in uh, Larry's junior program. But uh, uh, it was the week before the Masters in 2007, and Elmcrest had just redid their trophy case area and did a, a tribute to Zach, put a yeah. lot of his stuff in there. Yep, I know it well. Yeah, so Zach or uh, Larry emails Zach and says, well, the trophy case is done. Hope you like it. Can't wait till you see it. P.S. We left room for a green jacket. <laughs> and, he, and he wins it the next week. Great. Oh, yeah. So good, right? Yeah. I, I, and I'll, I'll give kudos to Larry Gladson. Larry Gladson, um, from a golf professional standpoint, I don't know if I've, I've gone to a lot of instructors. You know, I've lived in um, well, Boise, Idaho, in Portland, Oregon, uh, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, Iowa City, Iowa, and now Tampa, Florida. And I've, I don't know how many different instructors I've used over the years, maybe 20 uh, through all my travels. But none of them could hold a stick to Larry Gladson. He, I mean, he's the one guy who if I ever got awkward in my swing, I'd go get a lesson and I would bet every penny in the bank account that I would shoot one of the best scores right after that lesson. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people, you know, they, they try to reinvent the wheel and you can't play for weeks and months afterward. But Larry just had the gentle touch to see what you were doing, make an adjustment and boom, you could just go play golf. That's the greatest compliment I can give to him other than being just an outstanding individual. Right, that's a that's perfect. Uh, he was inducted into the Iowa Golf Hall of Fame last year, and yeah. I was lucky enough to MC that ceremony. And I introduced him. I said, "Just the best way I can describe Larry is that he's not only a great human being, he's a consummate professional, and that's what he is. He is so just true. a class guy." Well, I'll tell you. Let's get you know. On that note, Iowa history. We're going to jump into our topic today, George Roddy. Uh, I thought before we jumped in, I'd tell. A little bit of the weird story I shared with you before we started the podcast about how I came upon this story, and then I, we'll talk about how you did. Um, 
essentially one of the greatest gifts that my late grandfather, uh, Pete, gave me was a belated one. Years after he passed away in 19, or years after my grandfather passed away, his 1932 University of Iowa yearbook made it into my library. And I didn't know at the time, but it was the, the one single gift that set me down this path for a love of golf history. And it was on page 307. If you turn to 307 in the 1932 University of Iowa yearbook, you'll find a picture front and center of the captain of the gymnastics team, who was my grandfather, Pete. And oddly enough, if you turn to the very next page, and this is really where it started, imagine 1932 on page 309, the exact opposite page, was George Roddy. And George Roddy front and center on the University of Iowa golf team handsome gentleman wearing a white shirt and a windblown tie in this photo. He just happened to be African-American. And I remember, this is 15 years ago, I, I remember seeing this photo and I was really early into playing golf. Um, I, I had not picked up, you know, I had just picked up golf not that long after I got married. And I was just really taken by that. I, I didn't know the history like I know the history of the game now. And more than anything, it set me down this weird and wacky double life of golf history and studying it basically every day, every night for sure. And through all that, I started corresponding with uh, George Roddy's daughter. And I started writing a book that I will never finish. Because <laughs> I, unlike you, Rick, do not write for a living. I talk for a living, so this works very well for me. Writing for a living, very hard for me to do it and concentrate and finish something. But it really, it really set me. And, and I think more than anything, we're on episode 19. This is a story that I've wanted to share with people for the last 18 episodes. I've wanted to share with people for the last 15 to 17 years since I stumbled upon it. And I've done little pieces, but I haven't done enough. And that's literally why we're here today, because I, I think it's an injustice that people don't know the story of George Roddy, for one. And at least the last time I checked... Um, he wasn't even recognized in the University of Iowa Golf Hall of Fame, which I think is a tragedy. And I think it's we'll we'll get into maybe why because there have been records that have been lost. Uh, but I just it's it's a great story. And folks at home, I really hope you enjoy it. And we're going to dive in. But I guess Rick, I guess the question I have for you is, how did you uncover the story of George Roddy? Well, by total by accident, I was re, uh, researching the book we talked about earlier and. Uh, I was on a website called newspapers.com, mm-hmm. which has news, newspapers going back forever. It's a great, it's great, a great resource. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I'm looking for something, and this is like uh, – I'm looking in the Des Moines Register in like 1930. And for some reason, my eyes take me to this story because there's a short little story in the golf is in the headline. It says, Roddy takes lead in SUI golf event. And I'm reading this as George Roddy of Keokuk, a Negro star of the University of Iowa golf team. And I kind of stopped and yeah. read that again. And I said, hmm. So my curiosity has peaked, right? I started doing searches for George Roddy and this and that and, and started building up a file. Found stuff in the Indianapolis Star because he had ended his uh, career there as a teacher at uh, Chris Mick's Attics High School in Indy. And uh, is is the first African-American member of the Indiana Golf Hall of Fame. And so then I 
started putting facts together. You know, you I bet you have more than I do, but it's so fascinating. I had to include them in my book. Yeah, it's really it's an amazing story, isn't it? I mean, I I, oh, I just yeah. I, I I don't know how. Well, I do know. I do know how a lot of this wasn't shared. So in my journey into the depths of George Roddy, uh, I don't know if, if, if you had these conversations, but I actually reached out to the University of Iowa to get any records I could get. And I, I, I don't know if this is 100% true, but I was told that there was a fire, I think back in the 1950s, and a lot of the, uh, well, I guess what they'd call back then minor sports archives were destroyed in that fire. And I was told, essentially, that they really had no records beyond 1950 of the University of Iowa golf team. And so I think that's really the, the crack that, you know, he fell within and why right. perhaps he's not in the University of Iowa Golf Hall of Fame, which is, to me, again, a tragedy. Right. You know what? And you were talking about the picture in, uh, in the yearbook you found. I, I went up and went through the yearbooks. Uh, and I was sitting one day, and I know the picture you speak of, Natalie attired with his white shirt and tie that's whipping in the wind. So but, good, uh, right? Yeah. It's so good. Uh, and uh, also found a picture from uh, the uh, Attic's yearbook of, of George Roddy, Coach George Roddy, with some of his players looking at a persimmon wood. I mean. Oh, I love it. It's like it's like anything your, your uh, curiosity is – is unleashed and you just can't stop. You keep piling up layers and layers of this guy trying to find out who he was and how he got there. And, and he was so, you know, didn't make much about himself. That's for sure. Other, other people, people really campaigned hard for him and to get him into Indiana hall of fame. So, uh, you know, we're gonna have to do the same thing here in Iowa. Exactly. Um, do you know much about his days before the university of Iowa? I don't know that much. I know he played football. I did find yeah. one clipping. He kicked a field goal to win win a game three to nothing. Yeah. I can't even tell you what year he was at Kika High School, but I know he played football. Uh, but I really don't know that much about his growing up or, or that. Yeah, I've got, I've got some great stories. I figured I'd just share some. Um, that sure. I, I, and, and if you if I hadn't read it and double checked the facts uh, specifically with his daughter. And then I think I found another news clipping um, from, uh, I think, 1930 to verify some of this. I wouldn't have believed it. It was one of those stories was like, ah, that sounds like, you know, you know, Paul Bunyan story. So, you know, he's born March 8th, 1908 in Keokuk, Iowa. Uh, His father, Homer, owned the ice cream parlor in Keokuk, Iowa. So, folks, if you're looking at the state of Iowa uh, as a Iowa resident, Rick as well, it, uh, if it, I've always seen the state of Iowa as a face down the East Coast, and Keokuk would essentially be the goatee. <laughs> is, is that a fair way to put it, Rick? That it's is a the, very fair way to put it. It's, it's the it's, southeast it's, corner. It's the very southeast corner. Yeah, yeah, southeast corner. And it's quite frankly, if you ever get the chance, it's a beautiful town. A lot of old historic buildings right on the Mississippi River. Gorgeous. Um, a lot of vis- beautiful, beautiful vistas. Sightseeing vistas, right. yeah. So Roddy grows up. He's in, in the, the uh, I have the clippings from his high school yearbook, and he is uh, considered not only a great student but a great athlete. And he excelled in a lot of sports. And they didn't have a golf team, but he told his father Homer uh, that he was going to win a scholarship to play for the University of Iowa golf team. And his grandfather, much like my great grandfather, 
um, did not support Roddy like my great grandfather didn't support my grandfather in going to college. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, I guess the opportunity that we see it today as a you know as a as an opportunity to do something with your life. It was let's go to work. That's the Iowa attitude. You know, schools something you don't need. And according to his daughter, and then the article I read uh, that. Uh, even though Homer Roddy was well off, he refused to give his son a single penny to pursue anything at the University of Iowa, golf or even going to school. And so with that, and with two sources, Roddy literally left Keokuk with a suitcase and a set of clubs on his back and literally walked 60 miles to Iowa City without a penny on him. And I, again, I read that. The first time I heard it from... Um, I, I believe it was Mary and Roddy. I'll have to check that out. I have my notes somewhere. I'll correct it here in our show notes. But um, first time I read that, I was like, there's just no chance. And then I read it again in an article in 1930, and I was like, unbelievable. <laughs> right? I mean, I mean, it just starts off the story so rich that, you know, I'm, I'm going to school. I'm going to, uh, you know, play for the University of Iowa golf team. And I don't know. Do you know the story about how he got on the golf team by chance, Rick? Uh, not for sure. No. So that's another great story. Um, so he went to the university of Iowa, walks into the admission office, you know, is talking about going to school and the coach back then, I believe it's coach Kennett. And yeah. he asked to go see the, uh, university of Iowa athletic offices to meet him. So he walked into his office, uh, coach Kennett. Uh, I, at one time I remembered his background and I'll have to look it up, but went to go see him and basically said, I'd like to try out for the golf team. And, Kennett was actually, I mean, you know, obviously we're, we're talking about uh, 1928, 1927, 1928. You have an African-American gentleman coming in with golf bag. Uh, there were, to my knowledge, no African-American golfers in the NCAA at the time, certainly not the Big Ten. And the idea, whether he took it seriously or not, he said, your only chance of making the golf team I'll give you is a tryout. But to do it, you have to beat every single player on the team. Right, And so two weeks later, they set up essentially a full-day golf match of match play versus the entire team. And one by one, George Roddy took them down. And as the notes go, the first, I'm trying to think, the first three matches didn't go beyond 14 holes. So not only did he win, but he was blowing them out so fast that, you know, I think it was apparent and obvious that he was going to make the team. Which, again, part legend, obviously, but... Again, corroborating facts on that are, are pretty good, that that's exactly how it went down. Just what? absolutely amazing. You know? it, it, it is. Just, I mean, again, 1920s, right? The thing, right. But, uh, of course, freshmen weren't competing, but he didn't even play no. his sophomore year. Yeah. I, I mean, he won the all-university championship his first year there. Yeah. But he didn't, didn't play any varsity golf, which uh, – there's got to be a story there, and, yeah. and prior racism is involved. Yeah, but uh, crazy that he stuck with it, you know. Too he 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 stuck with his studies and he stuck with his golf and didn't give up and uh, became quite, you know, what a wonderful man. But he, he accomplished so much. He did. Uh, was he was also also the uh, first African American to um, be in the School of Engineering at the University of Iowa and first graduate, of course. Right. I mean, yeah, he comes there with with no help, 
not only does he play great golf, but he gets a degree in engineering. Yeah, that's unbelievable. What well, share that, yes. sh- share with me like some of your recollections from your studies on George. Well, you know, it's it's every story you read, you go back and read it, it's always star negro golfer George Roddy or you know that I was colored golf star. Yeah. That that was that was a big thing, I guess, that people in in newspapers had to identify him by his race. Yeah. You, you know, you would never, instead of saying, you know, great player or whatnot, he, he even when he started playing, Connor, it, it was not easy because uh, by the time he finally started playing, he lettered in 1930 and 31. By right. the time he started playing in 1930, they only had four meets that first year because the University of Iowa's football team was involved in a, fl- in a slush, sc- slush bun scandal. And was not allowed to play against Big Ten schools. And the Big Ten faculty committee lifted that like in February of 30. Yeah. But they could only schedule one Big Ten meet, and that happened to be Minnesota. Yeah. And and what happens, but uh, George Roddy goes out. They're playing Finkbein in Iowa City. He shoots a course record 72 in the craziest way possible. Shot 31-41. Wow. <laughs> Unreal, right? And he beats in his match. He beats uh, William Fowler of Minnesota, really good player. He'd won the uh, North Dakota Amateur Championship in both 27 and 29. George dispatched to him and uh, was on his way. That that was really his big accomplishment that year because every story you read mentions that, how he set the course record. Yeah, I I take this away from people who are are talking about how good was George Roddy. Um, I'll just read you this excerpt from the 1932 yearbook on George Roddy. Uh, George Roddy repeated his performance of the year before when he outplayed all competition to win the all outright all-university tournament in the spring. Roddy plays with a style few teams could cope with and went through the season without once tasting defeat. In most cases, he won his matches by quite comfortable margins. Remarkable. So two yeah. years without tasting defeat in individual play. Is what essentially the University of Iowa yearbook is saying, and and of those, it doesn't even mention the course records he said. Obviously, he set one at uh, at the University of Iowa Finkbein's course, uh, the old course, right. obviously not the course we have today. And right. uh, I believe he set one at Minnesota and playing against Northwestern in 1931. Right now, I did I did find one match where he he drew his singles match his, his senior year. But I've not found one where he lost. He lost a, he lost a few doubles matches. Yes, but a, a team as competition. Far as, yeah, team competition. But as far as uh, in fact, the interesting thing is junior year when he went undefeated in singles matches. He had a teammate that year who also went undefeated, Fred Agnew. Agnew, yeah. But that that was the year they only played. Uh, they only had four duels, so. It's too bad they wouldn't have had a chance to, to to play to play more. But they are the they were the first players in Iowa golf history to ever go undefeated in season. I, I just I don't know. I I just look at this and I'm I, I'm blown away by it. Um, yeah. I, I, I Mary shared some details. Uh, Mary Roddy, uh, his his daughter, was sharing some details as to how he used his engineering degree. To assist him on the golf course, and one of those was that he under he understood the physics of the golf club, 
And as such, of small stature, he was five foot six and probably weighed 150 pounds wet. He understood that playing a longer length club would assist him in distance. And so because of that, he made his own shafts with elongated, uh, elongated shafts for his driver to hit what many call prodigious drives, which I just think is fascinating. A way to use your engineering degree, your understanding of physics, and applying it to the golf game to outdrive your competition. Way ahead of his time. Right? Yeah, way ahead of his time. A lot of people have done that and years later with the long shafts for more distance. He was way ahead of his time. So what, what is your takeaway? From, like, you know, you, you've looked into the George Roddy story. Um, what's your takeaway? As, as, you know, a newspaper man, as a sportsman, uh, you, you came across the story, you researched the story. What do you take away from it? Well, I take away how poorly he was treated. Yeah. Um, he did not get to play in the Big Ten Championship, even though he was undefeated yeah. his junior year, because he was at a club that did not allow African-Americans to play. Yeah. So he didn't get to play. And curiously enough, his junior year, Fred Agnew also didn't play in the Big Tens because he was studying for law exams. Yeah. So uh, Coach Kenneth took, took a team there anyway to play in the Big Tens. And after the first round, they were in last place, 44 yeah. shots behind ninth place Chicago U. Yeah. And they they went home, said, for enough of this nonsense. I mean, yeah, your, your two-star players are sitting out, essentially, one uh, because of study and the other one because of his race. There's very little uh, written about that that I could find, other than there was the Daily or the Iowa City Press Citizen as sports editor named Jack Patton. And he wrote, uh, he wrote. I've, I've got it right in front of me, in May of 1930. Uh, Roddy wasn't used at all. Despite, oh, no, that's wrong. Roddy, Roddy's colors bar him from the Chicago Lynx. And, and it's just, a, it, basically, it's a tragedy that the guy didn't get to play because of the color of his skin. I mean, now you just shake your head, but my goodness. Yeah. Back in 1930, you, you would have thought that he'd be able to play, and he wasn't. He just yeah. said, you can't play, you're black. Yeah. I mean, think of that. That it's, makes me angry. It, absolutely. It and just, and it, uh, There's two, uh, you know, I, I have a, a press clipping that basically says, going into the 1931 season, that George Roddy is the most serious threat in the Big Ten, in Big Ten Conference history, unquote. Right. That's, that includes right. Les Bolstadt, by the way, out of Minnesota. Right. Minnesota, I mean, there are some sure. unbelievable uh, amateur golfers that came out of the, the Big Ten. And calling him the most serious threat in Big Ten Conference history goes a really long way in talking about how great of a golfer he was. And right. I think, you know, uh, you know, we're looking at the yearbooks here, 31-32, not losing an individual match, never losing an individual match, uh, but then being denied the ability to play in the Big Ten or NCAA championships because of the color of your skin is... Uh, I mean, obviously, it's a mark on history. It's it's probably perhaps not a shocking one, considering how African Americans were treated uh, trying to come into the PGA Championship or the PGA Tour up all the way until the 1960s and 70s had issues. But right. I I don't know. I, I look back and I'm just I'm I'm kind of blown away by it. And then he you know graduates from the School of Engineering, and again because of the color of his skin does not become an engineer. Um, I don't know if you have this, but uh, he worked at Arkansas state as an instructor 
between 1932 and 1933 and their golf coach, and then went to North Carolina A&T from 33 to 48 as their golf coach. But he's really not allowed to do two of the things that he loves. One is become an engineer, and the other one is to play golf. Right. And one of the because, because of the color of his because skin. Only because of his skin. And right. I'll tell you something that the one thing that connects him as much as anything, I, I have a quote um, that I, I read in the intro, and I'll, I'll read it again here, um, that I actually took the quote. I can't remember the source. I have it in my book. Um, but essentially it was a, a player from the Big Ten that lost to George Riley in 1931, and he says, to the effect, I know a lot of people are calling George Roddy the Black Bobby Jones, but after my beating today, I'm not sure if we shouldn't call Bobby Jones the white George Roddy. Oh, that's a great quote. Which is an amazing quote. <laughs> oh, and, that is a great quote. And it speaks to how great he was as a golfer. I believe he dispatched of the, the, the golfer. Like I mean, it was something crazy, like, you know, eight and seven or something like that in a 36 match, whole match. But the other one that I took away was actually from his daughter. And I asked her, you know, just poignantly, you know, the same thing we just talked about. I said, uh, you know, your father wasn't able to pursue the game of golf, rather from, you know, a, a, a USGA standpoint or a professional career. And he wasn't allowed really to pursue a career in engineering. So like, you know, his two loves in college. Um, did he ever express disappointment of being denied those things because of the color of his skin? And the way she responded was was eerily similar to how Bob Jones responded to, you know, the disease that eventually took his life, you know, that you play the ball as it lies. And it, it wasn't that quote, but it was eerily similar to that, is that she said, he never expressed anything like that to me. He sometimes would talk about the difficulties of of people saying racist things to him on the golf course or going to the golf course um, or during a round of play. But he always went through life cherishing the opportunities he had. And when he was a teacher at, you know, both these universities and then at Crispus Attucks High School, he always went out of his way to tell these students how important it was to get an education and how always to push forward with a positive attitude. And though not the same in any stretch or regard to, um, you know, the ailment that Bobby Jones met with at the end of his life, I just thought the attitude and perseverance in a very difficult situation to no fault of your own was one of the things that struck me as most admirable about George Roddy. More admirable than a scorecard full of birdies, to be honest with right? you. That, that he could have that attitude and face life that way and keep on keeping on, so to speak, with all those obstacles thrown in his way because of the color of his skin. Yeah. Remarkable. And, and you know, he, you go through his career and you want, I always wonder what people thought of him when they saw what he was doing on a golf course. Like senior year, you know, Iowa beat uh, DePaul. In a match ten to eight, DePaul hadn't lost for two years. Yeah, they were undefeated. Undefeated, and and George won both singles and doubles matches. Won six of the ten points, and then they go through and they get to the end of the season, and 
This time, uh, I would uh, coach uh, Kennett didn't even enter the Big Ten championships because George couldn't play. He just said, "We're not playing." So, just think of that—a guy, a guy with that remarkable uh, a game and with all he achieved, and he never hit one shot in a Big Ten championship because yeah. he was black. It's tra- I mean, the other thing that I, I that I that take away um, that I again you can only imagine. Uh, perhaps the shock and awe of an African-American golfer trying to play his way onto the University of Iowa golf team and then thoroughly destroying you know, yeah. all of these varsity players and blowing them out and winning the all-university uh, championship and then not playing until his junior year. But the, yeah. the stories that I've also heard of how his team embraced him once he became this teammate I think is a remarkable story. Um, that again, it, it needs to be told. It needs to be shared. Of you know, obviously he overcame all these obstacles that were only created because of the color of his skin. But then once he showed how great of a player he was, he was embraced and defended by his players and his coach. I mean, Coach Kennett could have gone to the Big Ten championship without him. Yeah. Right. And the fact that he stood by his player, uh, I don't know. I think it's one of the great. Um, I, it's a great golf story, period. But in University of Iowa history, I, I think it's just one of those great moments that should be celebrated. Yep, I, I agree. And to to really no one's fault, you mentioned the fire and losing the records. I, I don't know that people are aware of George. Yeah, um, we did. Uh, I did write a story for the University of Iowa athletic uh, website. Uh, about George last uh, uh, during Black History Month last yeah. last year, and I am putting together uh, nomination papers for the Hall of Fame in in George's uh, in George's name, and hopefully we'll get some traction in the Iowa Golf Hall of uh, Fame. Yes, or you, you, yeah, I well, think that's fantastic. Both, both. both but yes, I'm, I'm starting with the University of Iowa, and then I can just take what I write and take it to. Uh, Iowa Golf Association's Hall of Fame too. So. Yeah, because uh, on both accords, it's an amazing story that needs to be shared and embraced. Right. I mean, it, it's just one of those things that it, it literally has to happen. <laughs> it's yeah, right. has to happen. I agree. I, I totally agree. Uh, to, to to see a man who was denied so many things when he could obviously achieve tremendous things. And you know, here he is. He's playing in the uh, he's playing in the uh, Midwestern Negro Golf Tournament after his uh, after the golf team uh, golf season at Iowa was done in '31, and comes to Des Moines and wins it there. And uh, I guess you you played where you could play, yeah. You know, but that was his release, and and he showed time and time again what a great player he was. So, what, what do you think? What what's our takeaway from this? I mean, what 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 can we learn from George Roddy's story from your perspective? What, what can we take away from this story? What, what needs to be shared? What can we learn? Where do we go from here? Well, I think he's a great example for people today. We're so wrapped up in name calling and um, there's someone's always to blame and Here's a guy who stood above it all and had every reason to complain and get on top of the mountain and scream, I, you know, you're not letting me do this. Why are you not letting me do this? He just 
went about his business, carved out a tremendous career. You know, still played championship golf. What he won the uh, Indianapolis City title, I think, in yeah. '63, and then again in '67. '67. In 1967, he was 57 years old. Unbelievable. And he, right. and he still won, won that. I know he reached uh, third round of the U.S. Public Links one time and then volunteered with the USGA, uh, was on the committee on the Public Links Committee for the USGA for, for a time. So he just kept doing what he could. You know, just think of all the lives he touched as a teacher. Yeah, I, I think I mean, perhaps that's his, his biggest impact. Oddly enough, right. I mean... Um, uh, for, for all the things that he did on the golf course, but the fact that he, you know, was the first uh, African-American to graduate from the School of Engineering at the University of Iowa, uh, perhaps one of the first engineers in the Big Ten, I assume, African-American, and perhaps in the NCAA. And after all of that, his greatest gift was giving optimism to the kids of Crispus Attics. Right. Absolutely. Uh, you know, he started the golf program there. He was also an industrial arts teacher, but he he saw the value of golf of teaching uh, life's great lessons, lessons of life that that yeah. uh, turned its back on him. Yeah, a lot of times. Who better to teach it? I suppose with you know the attitude. He, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I mean, I, I read this story over and over. I think about this story. And I'm, it's just infuriating, right? I mean, that's how we take it, mm-hmm. right? And right. to imagine. Someone coming away from that experience with only optimism, a far better person than I would have been. Oh, far better person. <laughs> I mean, I, I, know? Can't, I don't know how anybody could be put in that position and, and go around with a smile on their life and, and you know, still start a golf program at Crispus Attics and teach golf at you know, two universities. Uh, far better person than I would ever have been. You know what I really wish, Connor, is that I wish... I could turn back the clock and I could walk up to George Roddy and shake his hand and tell him I'm so honored to meet you. Shake yeah. your hand. Because I, I really, I think, I just wish I could have done that. Yeah. I just think his story is so remarkable. You know, what what a what a great leader of young men and women. What, what a great example he set for humanity. Yeah. You know, Again, kind of going back to mine, but on a personal level, um, you know, finding finding the, this story in a yearbook that was given to me after my grandfather passed away, um, not only, you know, introduced me to golf history, but actually, weirdly enough, connected me even more so with my grandfather, right? Uh, it was mm-hmm. kind of a posthumous gift from my grandfather, because... Um, you know, prior to seeing the yearbook, I, I really wasn't even that much into golf. And, you know, I played sporadically. I wasn't a good player then. Uh, and there was something about this story that kind of kicked off, as I mentioned, that that double life. And that's really the gift George gave me, right? And and I don't know. You know, there are times when I get on the golf course. I'll tell you, <laughs> there was a time uh, just this week where, uh, you know, I'm a five handicap golfer and I went out and I was on the range and I started shanking the ball, literally 20 shanks in a row right off the tee. And I I had guests that came, you know, work guests that were going to play with me. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not playing today. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, guys, I'm just going to, I'll walk, you know, I'll, I'll enjoy it. And they're like, you know, you got to play. And the oddest thing 
popped into my head and it was really it's silly when i really think about it but maybe it was the fact that we're you know we we were planning this podcast about george roddy but i thought about it and i was like you know golf is about the journey it's not about the the score you post and in in the company of of like-minded people and i i kind of thought in a weird way that was a weird connection with with mr roddy that and you know what? I'm going to play today. I'm going to go through this. And it's not that big of a deal because it's just a score I'm going to post. At the end of the day, you know, my impact one way or other is not going to be, you know, this won't, this won't be even a chapter in, in the book that I write. Uh, unfortunately, I started with a triple and a double right after that. But <laughs> I digress. Yeah. But it's funny that there are times um, both in golf and sometimes in life where, you know, I get down on something and I reflect on his story and his story is one of optimism, you know, not regret. And that's, I don't know, not to get too emotional about it, but that's kind of his gift to me. And we never met. I mean, I'm I'm the same. I'd love to go back in a time machine and, and literally wonder at his play. But I don't know. I, I I feel like I'm connected to him anyway on a on a daily basis whenever I struggle or even in those moments when, you know, we have a chance to talk about him today. I, I'm just glad I ran into that story in the newspaper in nineteen thirty. Right. I, so when when I, I saw you, I think it was on Twitter on your golf historian's Twitter yeah. page. You you mentioned something about George and you know I, And Rick I thought, connected why? us, right? It was Rick. Uh, yeah, right, right. Yeah. Rick Tegmar, yeah. And I, I thought, uh, and I'm so glad I ran it. I stumbled into that. What are it's the chances? Story. <laughs> I feel like there's only like two people in this world that know this story. I, mean, I know. It's, it's just, you know, he, I, I'm, he, gl- I'm so glad you're writing this book, by the way. And, and I'm so glad that there will be something in print that people can read and get a grasp right. of it because I feel like I let him down, but my story, my book was going to suck folks. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. Well, I, I literally have the manuscript right here. Uh, it's called the lost champion. And before we started the podcast, I started reading it. And again, it's 15 years ago. I was an idiot. So I, I'm looking through this thing and I'm like, man, if, if I ever wrote this book, I would have to burn half of it because it's just <laughs> worthless. But you know, it did start me down this path and, you know, this is my manuscript. It just happens to be one that you listen to. Sure. Um, and, you know, you can tell a story in more than the written word, and you can do it in spoken word, too. And I, you can really tell that you're passionate about this. And, and I appreciate that uh, for knowing something about George. And, uh, you know, in a way, it's a great testimony to him on your behalf that you're keeping his legacy alive, a legacy that a lot of people don't know about. Oh, thank you. Um, I'll tell you one thing, folks, for you listening at home. Uh, if you do listen to the podcast regular, I tend to do a a narrative form of stories called uh, Golf from the Fringe. And it won't be this year, but perhaps next year the, or the year after, I'll do a story that's dedicated to George Roddy that will hopefully do my book some my, – my unwritten, never-to-be-published, never terrible book, some kind of justice in telling the story in narrative form. Uh, that's what I can promise you. It's so funny. That would be great. I, I would look forward to hearing that. So where do you go from here, 
Rick. I mean, you have your book. It comes out in November. How can people get a hold of it? Well, we're going to, I guess the easiest way right now, because that's still being hashed out, the distribution, um, they can go to the Iowa Golf Association's website, www.iga.org. As soon as uh, there's a facsimile cover, they're going to start uh, pre-sales and There'll be there'll be information up there on how you can get the book. Fantastic! Uh, if people are in Iowa, we will have book signings, and we're going to try to, you know, get out to the golf community as best we can. So, uh, I guess that'd be my best advice. And then, what what are you working on now? So you finished this book. When did you fi- you finished it earlier this year, right? I think when we first started talking, were you still maybe you were in the editing process? Well, actually, what happened to be brutally honest with you, Connor. I got done and it was too long. It, <laughs> There's no such thing. No such no, thing. I know. I know. But so I had to rewrite uh, my manuscript and shorten oh. it and tighten things up and combine some things, take out some stories. So that took several months to get it right. And uh, we're now on the home home stretch. So uh, I'm anxiously waiting for it to come off the uh, the printing company. Uh, open up a box and see it. Yeah. So you basically wrote War and Peace right yeah. off the bat. <laughs> well, pr- pretty close. But, uh, you know, people who know me know, and I was this way in my newspaper career, I loved the history and I loved the research of a story. Yeah. And it was hard for me to leave stuff out. Oh, I, I can't even imagine. Or leave yeah. facts. And, and so thus it was very long. <laughs> yeah. War and Peace. So, uh now we, we uh, cut it down, and I just did another edit on it uh, last week, and I'm really happy with the, with the results. So is there I hope anything, uh, people enjoy it. Is there anything you cut out that you regret cutting out now? You know, there are just some stories related to stories in the book. So it's not like I took something completely out. And and I found this in my newspaper career. A good editor taught me that once it's gone, you forget about it rather quickly. That's and, a good way to look at it. And uh, the editor was was right because uh, the bottom line, it's a better product when yeah. it's done. Well, That's great. Well, listen, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I just want to sincerely thank you for coming on the show. Uh, this is episode 19 of the Talking Golf History podcast. And to me, it's a very special and near to dear to my heart. Uh, It's one, as I mentioned before, that not only connects me to the thing that started me in golf history, but also connects me to my great grandfather, my grandfather, uh, Grandpa Pete. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I really, Rick, I can't even tell you, first of all, how happy I was to hear that you knew that story. I know we were corresponding and, and I think Rick was in the middle of it and, um, and I, you were writing the book, and I said, hey, do you have anything in there about you know George Roddy? And when you said yes, I <laughs> was literally floored. Like You probably couldn't grasp it from my emails, but I was like, oh, my gosh, I found a kindred spirit. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, George deserves a few kindred spirits. He does. Let's put it that way. Well, yeah, I will really tell does. you this, uh, and you have my word on this. If you need any help, anything I can do, anything to help get him inducted at the Iowa Golf Hall of Fame and the University of Go- Iowa Golf Hall of Fame, I am in full bore. 
I am two feet in. I will be on a flight to Iowa City or Des Moines <laughs> or wherever you need to go. It's that important to me. It's a story that needs to be told. And I think it's a story that we all, not just Iowans, but all golfers should be proud of because not of just his accomplishments and his undefeated you know, career in singles, but just his undefeated attitude, I think, in life. Yeah, you know, the Iowa work ethic is something that people outside of Iowa probably get tired of hearing, but there's uh, there's a lot of truth to that, and uh, George Roddy, they should make a statue for Iowa you know, work ethic. I agree. I agree. I'm, I'll help fund it, folks. Let's do a statue. Yeah. We need it at the University of Iowa. We can put it out in front of Finkbine. I think it'd be gorgeous. Undefeated well, golfer. Yeah, they're redoing the uh, – building a brand-new clubhouse. They, yeah. So maybe we can get some presents for George out there. That would be great. I like it. I like it. Yep. Well, thank you so much, Rick. This means a lot to me. Great interview. Thank you so much for taking the time. Well, thanks for having me, and it's a pleasure talking about uh, George Roddy. And as a fan of uh, your podcast, it's great to be on it. So thank you, Connor. And Rick, one more time, your book comes out when? I, I thought I read November. Is that fair? It comes out in the middle of November, yep. And it's called, one more time? It's called Golden Harvest, Iowa's Rich Golf History. Okay. And when it comes out, I want you to let me know. Send me a cover. I'm going to buy one anyway. But I'll send out a tweet and follow it up with a plug for the book. It's a story be everybody great. needs to hear. Like, I mean, let alone George Roddy, folks. You need to hear about this story, obviously. But Jack Fleck, Zach Johnson. Uh, I didn't even know the story about uh, Carson Sol- Solheim, which is <laughs> – yeah. Unbelievable! I I don't know if you earlier this year we did a podcast about uh, well that's Ping. What, and I yeah I heard that and it was fa- it was fascinating that podcast was fascinating and I thought I got to send Connor this this yeah. thing on Andy Cohen and Carson Solheim and it slipped my mind till small world we just start talking yeah right small world yeah crazy well thank you again Rick we really appreciated you uh, having you on the show well thank you Connor. <laughs> 